This is Norman B's Life Elsewhere, the show about art, media, and culture. Hello there, I'm Norman B, and thank you for joining me for this edition of Life Elsewhere. For the next 60 minutes, you are in for a very special treat. My exclusive interview with British musician Rudy Tambler. Now listen to this. 30 years ago, a record sleeve caught my attention. I knew this was going to be a record I would like. Little did I know then that it would be a release that I would instantly adore. And over the years, I would herald it as groundbreaking. At any given opportunity, I would reference it as having a lasting, profound impact on me. I would consistently include it in my best of lists. The 12-inch three-track EP was by A.R. Kane on the 4AD label. The title cut was Lolita. There was nothing like it at the time. Now take a listen and you'll understand why I've raved on about this beautiful track for so many years. As the years have gone by, very little has come close to the unique perfection that is Lolita. That is until I discovered a new release by Rubel. And guess what? Rudy Tambler, who was one half of A.R. Kane, is the man fronting his new incarnation, Rubel. And Rudy has very kindly agreed to join me for an in-depth conversation. Rudy Tambler, Welcome to Life Elsewhere. You're welcome. Does it surprise you to hear an old fart like me going on and on and on about a piece of music that you made 30 years ago? <laughs> no, well, I don't know. It's difficult to answer. Are you an old fart? Well, no <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, no, I mean, we all hear things that we love. And yeah. I think quite often it's like if you're a real music lover, 
and not everybody is, and those that aren't, aren't of the same species as us, um, so we have to take them lightly. Yeah. But if you are a real music lover, there tends to be a handful of pieces of music that really touch you, and it's not for me to determine whether or not it's one of ours. <laughs> yeah, but, right. but quite often it'll be something which is, um, I think for the really passionate music lovers, it'll be something that's kind of quite unusual and extreme in its time and Lolita was quite different to what was going on so I can see how it would capture yes. your imagination and I'm not I'm not being um, arrogant or vain or anything I really like it as a, as a recording yes. and as a piece of music as well and I still hum it to myself so do you really yeah from, from one from, well there's one part in it which which stuck in my head and it's the guitar solo that's yes. like distorted towards the end yes and um, I find myself humming that because it's like another song that landed inside the end of that song. Yes, yes. And I think, I think Rudy, that was what really drew me to it. I mean, it starts off, you, you're not quite sure exactly, well, you don't know it's going to go the way it goes. And, it, I mean, it's a romantic song. It's a love song. You, let me not put words into your mouth, but you tell me about the origins of the song. So, I mean, I remember it very distinctly like it happened last week. Yeah. Um, so... The partnership of AI came was Alex and me, um, and we had a really short amount of time to write some demos um, because we had kind of said that we had a band, we didn't really have any songs, but we were asked to do a demo tape. So we put together a demo, and we just had like a 606 drum machine and a little 12-string guitar. So we put together, and one of them was um, When You're Sad and Lolita and Haunting and all these the early singles. Mm-hmm. Um but when it came to actually recording Lolita again, because we were, we were going to sign with 4AD, we started rehearsing it, Alex and me, and I had this really nice setting where I rolled all of the top end, this is really geeky, but I rolled all the top end off of the Stratocaster guitar and put it through a really rich delay and the tape echo. So it had that warm, almost like a synth ambient sound, that blanket of warm sound that the song starts off with. And that's all it was really. And Alex played 12 string. I thought, oh, that bright 12 string and that ambient wash of sound, they worked really beautifully together. Now what happens was when we got to the chorus, I would strum it harder. And what I accidentally did is I hit the pickup on the guitar and it switched from um, the rolled down one onto the treble pickup. It just exploded into sound. Yes. And it's one of those moments where that's a complete mess up. And I looked at Alex and looked at me and we both just smiled and carried on. I thought, <laughs> that's what's got to happen on the chorus. It's yeah. got to explode. <laughs> And it was the missing ingredient, really. Yes. Uh, to take it. And that kind of shapes, I think, it's one of those happy accidents that kind of shapes the way that you approach music. As in, you know, you don't have to have the normal verse chorus. You can actually change it sonically. Yes. As to rhythmically or melodically, which, of course, you can do that too. But the sonic shift was part of what became our palette. Yes. And at the time, and I'm thinking back to, to that period, this is what, 87, 88, around that time? That was 87, 87, yeah. yeah. And I'm thinking back to that time. Um, with Lolita, you really did change the landscape. Things, 
things at that time, I'm just remember, remembering some of the other things that were going on. And Lolita came out, and of course it was on the 4AD label, and, and Robin Guthrie was the producer of that track. Um, but it did even on 4AD, it seemed to me that it was somewhat different to what other acts were doing. on, And that label, of course, was known for, for being on sort of the cutting edge. Um, talk to me about, about this, the beginnings of it, the very beginnings for you of, of being a arcane. So, um, so Alex and I have been friends, were friends since, since like 1970. So we were like eight years old, yeah. we were born in like, both born in 62. I think Alex might have been born in 61, actually. And he joined my school um, from another part of East London. And we, went, we grew up together. And from the day that he joined, we were really close friends because we just connected in a way which, we, no, we didn't connect with anybody else. And so we stayed friends for years and years. And we kind of, you know, just exchanged, you know, books and music and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then a few, a few years later, um, I think it was around about when I was at uni or just afterwards and Alex was working, we got together and we started going out to concerts together. We'd done years of going to clubs, listening to reggae music, soul music, jazz funk, disco. But suddenly we started going to kind of concerts and quite often they would be kind of, you know, it would be a rockabilly band or a new romantic band mm. or, you know, B-52s, Japan, all this kind of, it was starting to change. The landscape was starting to change radically. And we started going to concerts together and getting more and more interested in stuff that wasn't, strictly speaking, what you might call black music culture, um, which was a mainstay, you know, jazz, reggae, yeah. soul. And we started to get more into kind of like a more alternative kind of punky yes. vibe. And then going to see bands that were slightly different to what we to what we knew, but that was very much the London thing. It was very much a fusion of styles. Yeah, we take the Clash doing you know Police and Thieves, and you take and then you take the band the Police doing kind of a reggae punk thing, and all these different changes. And we were always interested in those fusions of sounds. And I always think that the most interesting things come out of an unusual, unexpected fusion where cultures clash. And I think we were right in the heart of a culture clash in in London, and um, out of that. You know, we started to listen to various things and we both kind of independently came across 4AD music and the Cocteau Twins and Dead Can Dance and The yeah. Small Coil. And we were both listening to them without knowing. And when we got back together again, I moved back to East London, hooked up with Alex. It's like, oh, my God, we've got the same record collection. <laughs> you know, he had more. He had some stuff that I didn't have. Like he had um, Metal Box, for instance. Ah, Pill. Yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. had Religion. Oh, OK. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Sure. So, yeah. So, so, but we were still having similar flavors. And yeah. I was kind of really into Joy Division, but he would be more into something else, you know. So we had this mix of styles. And. I remember we saw the Cocteau Twins on TV and um, thought, wow, they don't just sound amazing. They look incredible. They've got a tape machine instead of a drummer. We just both thought that was fascinating, that use of technology that was kind of disruptive. It's like you don't need a drummer. You can stand completely still and make the biggest noise and the most beautiful noise. And we decided there and then to have a band um, from seeing the Cocteau Twins. And I remember that week, it was like Christmas 85 or something, we went out to a party and just started telling people we had a band and we made up the name there and then on the spot. And um, I, meant, I mentioned it to some woman who just happened to be married to a record producer. 
and, and next thing it's like can you do a demo and that's when we did our demo and it, it's like um, yeah it's, it's like it's like i've got some curtains let's put on a show it's like it's one of those things it doesn't seem possible but it actually does happen yeah but it's it sometimes you get a, you get a feeling that things are just kind of happening yes. and you go with flow and it's a ride and you don't know where it's going to end but you just go with it and we went with it and it started to snowball really quickly mixed metaphors i know but um but that's what happened and suddenly we were we had a single out and it kind of went slow with one at linden but we got a single out and um, we were label mates with the sugar cubes and yes. some other bands that was on one little <laughs> indian wasn't it yeah so that yeah, yeah that was on one at linden but that didn't work out we didn't really get on too well with one at indian um they were too slow for us but by the time yeah we let we had written about 30 songs now because you know we were just kind of like splurting it all out and we they couldn't get us to um a recording session so in the end we just said look we're leaving and we went to 4AD we sent a, a track a couple of tracks Lolita and a couple of others to 4AD yeah and I vote 4AD said yeah I'll record you guys um and now we were really cheeky can we do it with Robin Guffrey <laughs> and um hit, Robin came to one of our shows and watched us and afterwards you know chatted with us and said and we were in awe of him completely yes. he said, yeah yeah I'll produce you I'll produce you guys um so you know we were we were going to go into the studio with Robin but before that happened um we were working with Adrian Sherwood from um, on new sounds yes. and and he was working with the sugar hill gang yes section keith LeBlanc, doug wimbush and we were going to do a dance track with them and we went to ivo and said we want to do this dance track first because we had something already written called annie tina and we knew that they were the best rhythm section on the planet at the time and it was going to be massive and he said yeah but it's too obvious for you to work with those guys and he kind of had a point in a way um he said, I've got someone who's kind of in retirement at the moment, which is Colorbox. He said, why don't you work with these guys instead? Yes. He said, "He said, you know, your energy will bring them out of their shells kind of thing. Yeah. And it did. And so we ended up doing the Mars record, which right. just went ballistic. So that was unexpected. It caused a lot of, a lot of um, issues and problems, but I don't really want to go into those. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but it enabled, it gave us a much bigger stage to do what we wanted to do. Right. Yes. Um, so we've got publishing money and we built our own studio. And when we started producing stuff and then we did a Lolita single around the same time. And um, suddenly, you know, we're working with Robin. We're on tour with Dick and Dance. All of our heroes are in the same room. Yeah, but... yeah, yeah. We're talking to Rudy Tambler, originally of A.R. Kane. And his new outfit is called Jubal. Uh, we're going to talk more. We're going to take a quick break. And we're going to talk more with Rudy right after this. Thank you for listening to Life Elsewhere, hosted by Norman B. To learn more about our program, our guest, and the music we feature, go to lifeelsewhere.co. That's C-O. If you're just joining us, my guest is Rudy Tambler. He was in an outfit called A.R. Kane, and I have been raving for years, in fact, 30 years, about A.R. Kane. His new band is called Jubal. It's a three-piece, and we're going to talk about that in just a little bit and play a cut. There's something that you mentioned earlier on, and you were talking about the Cocteau Twins and uh, going to see the Cocteau Twins, and you said they, there they were. They stood on stage and they just looked fantastic. I want to talk to you, Rudy, about the look because I think that this is something which is in possibly under 
not not looked at enough. I think the way that bands looked, particularly in London, particularly in the UK, was always a very important part of how the music came together. Your thoughts on that? <laughs> I think there is that kind of rock and roll fashion. It's not what you play, it's how you hold your guitar. Yeah. Or it's not what you wear, it's what your hair looks like, that kind of thing. <laughs> yes. You know, there is, yeah. there is that thing, and it's a youth thing. Yeah. Youth is very, very image conscious. What is it? Um, the song, the line from um, a Genesis song, um, Selling England by the Pound, which I always yes. really loved and I actually used recently. It was like, old man says you are what you eat, young man says you are what you wear. And it is that shift in a mentality or in a culture as it ages but for youth it's how you look but for me and I think it's it is um part of my own nature is that what I saw was something very disruptive you know if you listen to the cocktail twins like to garlands there's this massive kind of punk gothic thing going on but these these really electronic drum machines that sound completely stilted in a way yeah and aggressive it's a drum machine people didn't really use drum machines in that way right no they used them as electronica not as a mental drummer right and also when you saw them they their sound was massive you can imagine thrashing around on the stage but when you saw them they were completely still apart from liz you know, whose hands moved a little bit in her mouth, they didn't seem to move. Right, yes. It just looked like, a, looked like looking at a still photograph of a band, but the sound was coming out. It's just like it, it tripped my head out when yeah. I saw that. It, did, it was the presentment of the future, really. Yes. Because they were using tape machines, but it went very much to drum machines. And now, you know, you see so many bands when they're performing, you know, even take the XX, you know, there's no live drummer. Right. There's like a... There's a there's a Ableton running in the background, or something. Someone's punching stuff in and out, or go and see you know Underworld or right. all these bands. It's become a common thing. You expect it, but you didn't expect it from a rock band at the time. You know, I have it on tape a recording that I did, an interview that I did. Uh, it's probably about thirty years ago, with Sly Dunbar, the great great reggae drummer Sly uh-huh. Dunbar, and I asked him. I asked him about drum machines and electronic drums, syndromes. And I always remember this. He said, man, that's the future. Don't let anybody tell you any different. I I said, but Sly, you are known as being like the ultimate drummer. And he said, yeah. And drum machines help me. We're talking to Rudy Tambler, uh, originally of A-Arcane. His new band is called Jubal. We're talking about the look. And I, and I, I want to just keep on about this sort of area just for a minute because I think it's really important. One of the things I've uh, talked about over the years is the sleeve for Lolita, the 12-inch on 4AD records. That sleeve was, as a lot of the 4AD records were, was striking. But that one in particular really, really was just unique. Can you talk about that? Sure, sure. I mean, it was the birthday of Alita last year, and I did um, I did a limited edition run of twelve inches with um, t-shirts, the original <sighs> t-shirts, and you missed out, man. <laughs> but God. if I if I've got any left, I'll send you. Oh, one. that'd be great. Um, yeah. But um, I mean, the sleeve. We were just lucky. It was just another one of those things. It's like we wanted. You know, we're talking to Vaughan Oliver, a 23 envelope, right. and we admire, we used to sit there and look at his record sleeve because everyone used to look at record sleeves in those yes. days and study them. And, yes. and his was pure art. And, you know, the later sleeve is in the in Victorian Albert Museum now as a piece of artwork, you know, along with his other pieces. And, it, and it's a really beautiful piece. But the things, you know, the things like the music was different. Yes. 
and it, I think it probably inspired um, a certain approach from Vaughan Oliver. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't just that. They said, they said we need to. We told them what we wanted. It's Lolita. We want to have a really innocent-looking girl standing, looking innocent with her hands behind her back on the front. But when you flip it over, she's carrying this absolutely huge knife behind <laughs> yes, her back. Yes. And is that? It is that threat, you know, I'm innocent, but don't f*** with me. Yes, yes. You know, and, and it and it's that kind of double-edged thing. So the reverse side is a different story. And this, and this, and the single, even though we didn't plan it, it takes that story. It goes from, you know, adoration into sadomasochism and into basically murder. Yes. Through, well, killing that what you love kind of thing, butterfly collector. The photography was the thing. We wanted yes. that picture. And, you know, we wanted someone who was prepubescent, like 11-year-olds, like Nabokov's Lolita. Yes, yes. And um, so they said, oh, we've got a photographer, and he's a new guy in town. He's, he's not really that well-known, but we think he's really talented, and it just happens to be Jürgen Teller. Yes. You know, just starting out, and he's now one of the world's most famous fashion photographers. Right. He did the original Kate Moss pictures and so on. But he was sitting outside schools approaching <laughs> children oh, you wouldn't play with that today you get arrested exactly. saying, can, can i photograph you but you know it wasn't going down too well and also the idea of nudity wasn't a problem for the parents of these children that were models the knife was the thing that put them off so in the right. end we had to get somebody who was 16 years old and could make the decision on her own yeah so that's how that came about and i think the distress of the photograph was all to do with the noise and the sound and that sepia image so it all kind of gelled together you know jurgen um vaughan and our sound it just made a, a package which was just complete yes and beautiful it, it is i mean you summed it up a beautiful package and it stands up to the t- this is the thing that i think is so important it stands up to the test of the time i got to talk to you about the lyrics of lolita um, because this has been something that has intrigued me well since it first came out and we're going to do that right after this we love to hear what you have to say Write to this address, info at lifeelsewhere.co. That's C-O. My guest is Rudy Tambler. The band that he was in that first came to my attention was A.R. Kane. The record that caught my attention was called Lolita, and it came out 30 years ago. The lyrics to Lolita. I have listened to this record again and again and again and I've sung along with it much to the horror of many people (laughs) (laughs) but I've got to ask you I always thought it was Winky Girl and it is is. okay because somebody said to me at one point said no 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 it's Wicked Girl look at the back cover is she's got a knife it's Wicked Girl but it's Winky Girl isn't it yeah it's because it's someone that we knew ah Okay, so talk and, to me about uh, that. Yeah. That, well, it was just someone that we met at a club, and that was her name. It was a nickname, and it was Winky. But <sighs> when we, but we were playing around with it, and we were playing around with. You remember that song? Um, oh God, is it Peter Paul and Mary, Georgie Girl? Oh yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So originally it was like, Hey there, Winky Girl. <sighs> and it's like we were playing around with that, just teasing, and oh. it's like and it suddenly mutated into a three-four rhythm. And it became something dark and it went into the minor key and it became something very different. And then there's the line where you say, and I've got to see if I can get this right. And you say, I love to go down and kiss your curls. 
Well, I think you can probably figure out. Well, no, I do. Of course, of course, of course. That's open to interpretation. Of course. She wasn't very tall. (laughs) But the thing was, at the time, I remember when that, when I would be singing that and I'd be singing along to it, I remember people going tut-tutting, going, oh, how would they dare to do that? Because you've got to remember, going back 30 years, that was kind of risque at the time. It would be risque now, probably. probably. I don't know. Yes, it's I think like, you're right. Yeah, you, yeah. To, you do have to. I don't know. It's like no. I think that one of the things that me and Alex had in common, um, which helped us to write and accept stuff that was a little bit taboo, is we both love sci-fi, and one of our favourite books, which I must have read a dozen times, and I don't know how many times Alex read it, is um, "Stranger in a Strange Land" ah. uh, by, by Heinlein. And if you've not read it, I suggest you do. Yes. I'm sure you must have. Yes, I have. There's yes. Eight, the main character, not the Martian, but the main character is Jubal, um, the old guy. And that's where this name, the new band, new comes band. from. Yes. Oh, gosh, it all comes together now. Yes. The, yeah. whole, the whole thing about um, Valentine Michael Smith, the man from Mars, was that he saw the world through the eyes of Martians and he, and he addressed every taboo with innocence oh. and, with, and with a confidence, as in that's a taboo, it shouldn't be. And I think that that kind of, Almost, I don't know. Um, that just that it's not really um, anarchic, but um, you know, it's, it's it's an approach as in no one's going to do that. So somebody ought to. It might as well be us. And if it makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable, that's probably a good thing. Yeah, <laughs> shaking people out of their coma. I love and, it. You know, why why would anything? Why would any re- sexual reference? you know, be a taboo in a modern culture. It doesn't right. make any sense. We've been through so many revolutions, you know, culturally, and yet we're back again into ultra-conservatism. Um, you should carry on singing that. You should sing it at the top of your voice and see <laughs> yeah. what happens when you're in Starbucks <laughs> next time. <laughs> you're absolutely right. Again, you've led me onto something which I wanted to talk about anyway, and uh, that is the fact that Lolita and your new record is very sexy and and i say that in total seriousness and because i think when you say something like a piece of music is sexy people think that you're just being a bit sort of you're going off on a tangent and you're being a bit daft about it but yeah there is an undercurrent of of not not just sort of eroticism which i think is as you just said you summed up so well it's so important and i think it's something which we can embrace and, and enjoy but this still seems, as you say right now, there seems to be this, this fear of, of just letting that happen. And sometimes what you hear in music um, is it's just... It's a been l- sterilised. Exactly. It's had its own entry move. Yes. Now, the thing is, I mean, as, as well as you know, if your first record was Elvis and we look at Little Richard and Buddy Holly and Eddie Cochran, it was sex. Yes. Rock and roll is f- sex. What else is it? Seriously, what else is going on there? It's it's the rhythm of your blood, and it is the most vital force. And um, without it, there isn't any existence on this planet. Right. You know, and yeah, I mean, we come from a Christian, Judeo-Christian culture, or whether you come, whatever. You know, some some cultures celebrate sexuality, like the Hindu culture does. Others are in complete denial mm. uh, about it because, well, no, let's not go there. Actually, it's too political, (laughs) too religious, and it doesn't even deserve attention. Exactly. Yes, I think it's just basically no music. A lot of music right now 
it's a little bit like um, a lot of abstract art. It seems to have had its gonads ripped out. Rudy, you like talking about music. You like talking about arts. You like, you're an interesting man. I, I'm wondering over the years and just being around, around the arts, do you find that, that you, you sometimes feel like you, you want to create, you want to put words down, you want to play music? Well, I do. I mean, I, I sleep like five or six hours yeah. um, and I wake up really early and I usually read or write first thing in the morning. And it's not that it's to be, I don't write anything that's to be published particularly, unless it's a piece of music, in which case I go downstairs and I hum it into my iPhone so that I can pick it up later. But, you know, it's, it isn't, I just think that it isn't a, there are times when it's a little bit barren and there's not a lot going on. Those are relatively depressing times. But mm. generally, when I'm in relatively neutral or positive um, health and well-being, I, I don't really stop. I want to create all the time. Obviously, you know, you ha I have an occupation and I have various other things that I have to do. But, you know, ever since I was a child, I was either reading or writing or drawing. Yeah, the music came later yeah. uh, when I, I, I was a teenager. I think this sort of creative energy comes through in your music, not just in AR Kane, but also in Jubal. I, I want to just touch on something because we've talked about sex and we've talked about rock and roll. And there's the, the old. We haven't talked about drugs yet. Well, yes, this was about <laughs> to say. I was, missing I, was, I was about <laughs> to say, let's talk about drugs. How does it figure into the, into the world of AR Kane to Jubal to, to Rudy Tambler? There's so many different ways and so many different what, things that are part of us naturally. Drugs, you know, teenagers, no, as teenagers, we dropped acid, we went to raves and took ecstasy, we smoked cannabis, we did all that kind of stuff. But we never, I mean, apart from one where we did um, Sperm World Trip Over, which is like we sung in our Alice Dreams, and it was really supposed to be Alice Dreams. Uh. But kind of sounded like Alice Dreams, so uh. we kind of just pushed it in that direction for a laugh. Yes. And then it stuck. Yeah, but more to do with like a Alice in Wonderland experience. Um, but, you know, we didn't want to explicitly say you should take drugs, you shouldn't take drugs. I don't really I don't really have an opinion one way or the other. No. People should do what they want to do. Um, and, you know, know the implications of what they're doing as well, because, you know, if you start taking heroin then that's a slippery slope, in my opinion, if you start taking too much cocaine, then that's a slippery slope. If, if you smoke too much spliff, then you become yeah. dogged and uninspired. So these things can give you a moment of inspiration, but continuously, I think they tend to have a diminishing return yeah. and become a master rather than at all. So, yeah, I mean, to cut a long story short, I'm not, I'm not, at all anti-drug. I definitely think that they play their role in society and they seem to um, jumpstart a personal evolution for a lot of people as opposed, you know, if, if nothing else. What a great answer. I think that was very uh, terrific stuff. We're talking to Rudy Tambler, originally of A.R. Kane. His new band is called Jubal. We're going to talk about Jubal in just a little bit. I want to talk, I want to now uh, talk more about about music, and particularly music coming out of London. It has always been my belief, Rudy, that London is is unique in the world. You hear about uh, people talking about what goes on in Berlin or, or what goes on in San Francisco or New York. Or, but to me, and maybe I'm biased and, and, and I admit to that, but London to me has always had this certain something that other places don't have, and it's this kind of cross-cultural... Uh, maybe I can throw it over to you. 
your thoughts about London as a music hub, as a music center? Well, it's one thing is that's difficult. I mean, I've got a lot of thoughts about it. Um, but one thing that's difficult is, you know, they say a fish doesn't know it's in water. Um, I grew up in London and I, and I, that's what I know. Uh, I know East London, yeah. West London, Central London, South London. I know the surrounding counties, uh, Essex, Hertfordshire, Kent, and travelled them relentlessly throughout my youth and into my young adulthood. So that's that's the world that I grew up in. And I've re- it's, fun, it's very difficult for me to compare it to anywhere else. I don't know anywhere else as well. Um, one thing I would say, and it's not meant as a contradiction, is that I remember in 86, 87, going up to Manchester, I'm thinking, my God, this place is vibrant. Uh, this is way more vibrant than London. Right. I remember me and Alex actually saying, why don't we move to Manchester? I think <laughs> we could really make it up here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's funny, yeah. It, it was, yeah. But it, it does talk, go back to what you were saying, because yeah. I went and began to one pub in Manchester, and there were rockabillies, there were rusters, there were skinheads, there were punks, there were soul boys. Every single subculture or tribe, we don't really have them so much anymore, but every tribe, and those tribes are very distinct in terms of how they looked and yeah. what they listened to, they were all in one space. And I thought, something's got to happen. And as we know, Manchester exploded towards yeah. the end of the 80s. It was the centre and the heart and the birth of a massive rave culture. It was, in, it was around the M25 as well, around London, but... You know, you had the Happy Mondays and the whole kind of scene up there. Uh, so, so you know, I I think that every city has something, you know, has something different. London is a particularly large city and also it's a port and it has a river and it's the only, obviously it's the only city in the world that has the River Thames, which yes. has its own magic, which most people don't even know exists. Right. Um, whenever visitors come from other countries, the first thing I do is I take them to London and I take them across one of the bridges so they get a feel for what London's actually about. It's built on a river and that affects it. And people are passing through from all over the world and they always have done. Um, and I think that that, like we were talking about earlier, the, the culture clash, they're constantly, I mean, if I go to East London now, um, it's almost unrecognisable culturally and yes. racially to what I grew up with. You know, it was um, very poor white Cockneys, um, Irish immigrants, West Indian and African immigrants when I was a kid. And now it's a completely different cultural and racial mix. And yet it feels exactly like East London still. Music now that you're hearing and, and here you are back uh, putting out music. Uh, and as you say, it's, it's what you're hearing around you is conservative. Is that is, did I pick that up right? Yeah, I think that. Um, I mean, if you take um, hip hop, for instance, you know, listen to Tribe Called Quest and bands like that from the nineties. And obviously, I'm an older guy, so that's what I prefer. <laughs> it was more progressive. It was my more mind expanding. It yeah. took you to places. It was a story. Um, I think things have become very conservative, quite right wing now quite self-centered and not so mind expanding not so progressive in the thinking or the attitudes it's it's much more chauvinistic um i'm not overly keen on that um so i don't pay it too much attention let's talk about jubal your new uh, band your new release um i'm gonna play a track uh, thinking about you and then we'll come back and talk more with rudy tampler right here at life elsewhere Freedom. I've been thinking about 
This is Life Elsewhere with Norman B. Jubal, Thinking About You, brand new release. And Rudy Tambler from Jubal is right here with me. I have to tell you, that record came to me uh, as a sound file, and I never know who sends me the. I get sent all kinds of things from different people all over the place. And um, I, I'm always interested in playing stuff that I don't know about. Just and I'll just put it in, and, I, and I, so most of the time I listen in my car. I put it on a thumb drive, and I listen as I'm just driving around, stuck in traffic. And as I'm listening to that, and I had no information about it at all, I promise you, and I thought to myself, bloody hell, that sounds like the bloke from A.R. Kane. It's, and, I, and I just made a note, I made a mental note to myself that I've got to find out about it. And of course, lo and behold, talk to me about Jubal, because... Well spotted. You know, so, okay. Yeah. Well, in, so, so... Jubal is, has not been around very long, and I can date it for you, really. Um, so a few years ago, um, A.R. Kane was approached, I was approached to do some festivals. I didn't have a band at the time, so I threw together a band really quickly. It was a big mistake. We put together seven people, and we tried to reproduce A.R. Kane tracks live. And we were quite successful at it, but you know, managing seven mad people yeah. that even want to do that was painful so at the end of it I, I recognized that there were three people who were crucial to it and that was myself my sister Maggie who's singing and this young guy um, who's a friend of my daughter's called Andy he's just like just graduated from university and he's, he had a beautiful voice and a really great guitar uh, method and just all-around musicality and I thought this is something worth working on so we started working together just as a, as a trio and the following year, we did like um, 10 or 12 festivals around Europe, and it was wonderful. So at the end of that, I said, right, let's just write new material. Let's just make new material and put out a new ARK record. And so I got to the point where I was ready to, get, to go into the studio to um, mix the new ARK record, which was approximately four weeks ago. And... I was kind of hampered by some legal stuff around the usage of the name ah, yes. and ownership and stuff. And I just thought, and it was a nightmare for about two days. I'm in the studio mixing the Jubal track and it's still being mixed. And we still got the, the thing saying AR Kane track one, AR Kane track two. So in the, in the middle of the studio, I thought about names. The name Jubal has always been close to my heart because of that character from Stranger in the Strange right, Land. Yeah, yeah. I absolutely love um, I love him partly because the opening scene is it's him sitting by a swimming pool with these beautiful girls who is his helpers swimming in the pool and his helpers doing the lawn and pleasantries and he leans over and he picks up the ice bucket and he pours an entire bottle of brandy on top of it and drinks out of the ice bucket and I thought <laughs> yes. that's me when I'm 90. <laughs> <laughs> I love it yeah. So, so anyway, Jubal is a calming influence on me. I don't know, you know, some people pray to, you know, a god or whatever. When I think of Jubal, I feel calm and centered. And I think, what would Jubal do right. in this difficult situation? So I chose the name. Couldn't get the spelling, which is J-U-B-A-L. So I made up a spelling. I put the umla in there. And it just looked great. Just looked like a great shaped word. Yes. Like, hey, I, you know, it's got a shape. Yeah. This has a shape. And, you know, um, so built the website, built the Twitter site, built the Bandcamp site, and released it last Wednesday. 
Last so Wednesday. The, oh my goodness gracious! So yeah. I think it was it was three weeks from the day it was mastered to the day it was released, and I think that's the wonder of, you know, of what you can do now with you know, digital technology. I'm totally in favour of that. You know, right? It's it's on a it's on a thumbstick, like you say. Yeah. You just upload it, and all of the channels to market are there for you. Yes. Um. So that's the technicalities of getting it to market really i guess and where the name came from and why we had the name because we really we had to use a different name otherwise i could have got into some kind of hassles in the future and but it was it what was interesting for me and i think what what's been really amazing since that decision to go duo it felt like a massive weight lifted um i mean the the single was supposed to coincide with the anniversary of the album 69 because that was 20th of june which oh, was my birthday yeah. 20th of june 1988 30 years anniversary let's put out a new ar kane single and say ar kane's still here check us out we still sound good wow and, and then it was like shit it doesn't have to be that it's still a celebration but it doesn't have to be that it could be something ar kane was this and now we've got a new face and this is one we're going to show to the world now so I had two hours to think of the name and design the sleeve. <laughs> well, you, you, there's another thing that you, I keep picking up on things that you say, and you said about the name and about A.R. Kane. They were both, they looked, they looked right. They were visual. They looked really good. This is, this is important to you, isn't it? And we talked yeah. about this early on, and I think it all sort of comes together again. And it, it, the, the, the look, the sound, the feeling. All is is really important. Uh, what comes across, and you just talked about designing the sleeve, and and here you have this this bright yellow sleeve with the uh, with the name in the uh, what the left hand corner, and it's it it it's powerful. It works really really well. I know it's really shocking because I'd had very little time. It was Saturday morning. I got up really early, and I just and and you know, Shauna from the PR company says, "I need I need all of this, all of your assets, all of your links, everything by this afternoon." <laughs> I went, "Damn!" So I just I just so I just did it, and I just thought I, I, I designed the logo, found a really simple typeface, modified it a little bit. Yeah, because I, I use Photoshop and stuff. Right. Um, modified it a little bit, and then I put it on a white background. I thought that looks a bit harsh. Put it on a blue background, orange background, green background, blue background. Filmed them, sent them out to Maggie and Andy. Said, "Which one do you like best?" And we all agreed, yellow is great. It does look <laughs> it, it, no, it does look good, and there's something about it again. And I and and I sort of touched on this earlier. It's sexy. <laughs> yeah, I don't I know. I've so. never never thought of the yellow being sexy, but I think it is in this case. The it's intense. It's an intense. It's intense. It's an intensely, you know, unrelenting and yes. happy color. Yes, and it is like it is a kind of rebirth color somehow. It just it just worked. Yeah, and so we've got yellow everywhere. And once I started working on that, because I've had to design like um, a physical um, product as well with USB sticks and it's all boxed up and right. all this kind of stuff. Yes, and um, so that's bright yellow, and I've got all these bright yellow postcards that I've had made up, and it's like everywhere. And then you go walk into the garden, and you notice the marigolds immediately. Ah, you know, of course, yeah, 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 yeah. Suddenly, yellow sticks out all over the place, and it's, it does sensitise you to it. Now, what's the plans for Jubal? Um, so we've we've got an album. Well, we've got a couple of albums worth of content, but we just have to get it right. And there's already a theme starting to develop. So we've got the first two tracks. And what we wanted to do is by the end of this summer have um, t a whole album released. So we've re we've started, we've recorded one more song. We'll record another one this weekend. And then over the next couple of months, we'll record, I think, probably eight or nine tracks in all, um, compile them, 
get the artwork done, put it out. As soon as it's out, start playing shows. Now, production, um, you're producing? Yeah, so I'm sitting in my little studio now. You can't see it, but it's a little bit bigger than the shoebox. You could get, yeah, <laughs> you, get four sho- you get four shoes in this box. Um, um, so it's a converted garage in my back garden. Um, and um, it's got everything I need to record and arrange the tracks and using Cubase and all that kind of stuff. And about five minutes walk from where I am, there's a guy who's got a mixing and mastering studio. Ah. And so, so I just put on my rucksack with my laptop in it, wander <laughs> around there and mix and master. Touring. What's going on with Jubal for touring? So we haven't got a tour manager. We haven't got any shows lined up. We've, we're asked to play shows, but I really just want to focus on um, getting an LP finished. And I want to make an LP, which is phenomenal. Um, obviously everyone does and I've, I've no idea if I'll achieve that but so far the signs are quite good because the tracks sound fresh and they sound really really nice so um, up my, right now I just want to focus it, if we play any shows they will probably not be until late autumn maybe Christmas time um, and there'll just be a, a couple of like, small shows and right. then if things pick up and people are interested in putting us on then we'll play um, maybe some kind of shows next year but i don't think we'll do a full-on tour um but we'll see we'll see rudy this this has been just a an incredible conversation with you talking about the history of ar kane your music with jubal and uh, just i'd just like to close with talking to you about not just the future with jubal but just just the future with with rudy tambler um you're a fascinating man. You, you've got so much Thank to offer. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just really enjoy talking with you. We, we kind of touched on a little bit about, uh, about the state of the world and about politics, but, but, but I think we both agreed it didn't want to go there. Uh, that's not the, what the, uh, the essence of this conversation is about. But I would like to get your input on, on things in the world, and I'd like to do that at another time. Is, is that possible? Sure. Yeah. Love to. Yeah. But before we go, um, because we've been talking to to you for almost a, well, yeah, it's an hour. Um, let's just talk about uh, just about the, not just the future of Jubal, but just where you would like to see things for you uh, as, a, as a creative person from going forward. Uh, I mean, I just think that um, artistically and materially, it, I need, I would love Jubal to be self-sustaining which means that I don't rely on record labels and I don't rely on other musical input except for that which I choose. And uh, um, it sounds a little bit arrogant maybe, but you know, I've chosen to work and with my sister Maggie and with Andy Taylor. And Maggie has an incredible ability to just phrase um, music and sounds and words in a way which just works for our music and she can write really beautiful harmonies Andy is a consummate musician and he can play most instruments and he's a really good foil for me I will write something and he will write something that just pushes it 
pushes against it creates a tension there maybe creates a sexuality that you might be picking up on oh, yeah. which was very much the chemistry between myself and Alex there yes. was something which it was a, it was a chemistry it's a relationship it's like an affair isn't it yes um, which is why so many bands bust up um, divorce is inevitable um, and you know so the unit that we have right now um, I don't want to extend or expand it except you know that I'm I had a party last this weekend, and the guy turned up, and he was a bass player, and he'd been, and he's, and I just said to him, "Can you play Expansions?" It's my test for bass players. Can you play Expansions by Donald Liston Smith? And he just picked up my bass and started hammering it out. I thought, Jesus, I want him on the record, <laughs> you know. So some people have a certain something they can bring, but mostly we have a working unit, and as I said, it was more succinct before. But to make it artistically and materially self-sustaining, that's everyone's dream, I think. And that's what I would really like for Jubal. You know, there's something else which I, I, I picked up on in you just talking about uh, your sister and Andy. And that is the difference in ages. And clearly there's a difference in ages in, in the three of you. And I think that's a unique and uh, an empowering thing that you don't find um, too often these days in, uh, in popular music, in rock and roll. Your thoughts on I'd that? I'd never, I'd never really thought about it, but you're probably right. I mean, uh, my daughter is 23, 24 years old now, yeah. and Andy was her best friend, and he lived three doors down from us for like twelve years. Yeah, and I never even knew him really. I saw him occasionally. He was like somebody who snuck off the end of the garden to smoke a joint with her, kind of thing. <laughs> um, and then you know, he became more and more kind of integrated into our family because we have big family lunches and stuff on Sundays and stuff. You know the score. Yeah, it's sure. Very, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I remember just one evening after a couple of bottles of wine, we're sitting there and it's like Andy plays a song and he just picks up the guitar. And he's a very, very shy, reserved, you know, guy, almost self-deprecating in a lot of ways. And he just started singing like an angel and playing the guitar, finger-picking style. And I just thought, oh, my God, you know, I have to work with this guy. And it wasn't about age or anything. Right. It wasn't a and if anything, he's the one that's the oldest in the band. He certainly behaves in a more mature manner than me and my sister Maggie. An old soul. Yeah, I think that's what it is. My daughter's an old soul, too. She's the oldest one in the family. Tell me about your sister. So Maggie, she's um, she's my younger sister. She's she's a counsellor. She helps people with their problems and psychotherapy, and and then she turns up here and sings. <laughs> it seems and like live, and live she plays guitar. It seems like you have a very well balanced life. Big lovely lunches on Sundays. You've got a beautiful garden that you go in and out of with your marigolds. You've got your wife that's <laughs> wife that teaches yoga. You've got a sister that counsels, and you've got a a neighbour, uh, uh, Andy, that's uh, quiet and that plays great music. It seems like you've got everything going for you there, Rudy. Oh, oh God! It, you, I painted a rosy picture. It's the same <laughs> as everybody else's life. We have a lot of grief, but we do. I think we're hopeless romantics, me and my wife. And yeah. We try. You know, as soon as the sun comes out, we imagine we're in the Mediterranean and we have a Greek salad kind of thing. But you know that that ability to dream. That's. I mean, maybe that's the youthfulness that keeps us going and the vitality, just to dream yes. yourself, to dream yourself into the moment as opposed to out of it and to really appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, I'm not knocking it. I enjoy my life. Yeah, you're, um, you're inspiring me, you know, that I'm just now, I'm, I'm just looking at my, uh, I've got th three computer screens in front of me and one of them's got, in full screen, it's got uh, the cover of Jubal on it and I'm just, it's bringing uh -huh. a smile to my face. It really is. 
good. Uh, before I let you go, um, this has been uh, just a delight to talk to you. Um, and as I started off by saying, just going on and on and on about how I raved on about A.R. Kane, that energy and that something that uh, captured, captured me then is, is capturing me again with Jubal and talking to you, Rudy, it's uh, it's it's bringing it all together, and I I just got to tell you I thoroughly enjoyed talking to you, and as I mentioned earlier, would love to talk to you again. Thank I, I've enjoyed it too, Norman. It's been really good. Really Thank good you fun. so much for joining us. Um, you just uh, gosh, you you're just a delight. You really are. We have been talking to Rudy Tambler. His new outfit is called Jubal. I highly recommend that everybody gets themselves a copy of this one. Don't do that very often, but this is fabulous stuff. Rudy, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening, and a big thank you again to my guest, Rudy Tambler. Now make sure you pop on over to lifeelsewhere.co for the links to A.R. Kane and Jubal. And remember, you can hear this edition of Life Elsewhere again at NPR One, iTunes, and the many outlets listed on our site. Till next time, you be well, you be good, and always be nice. Bye-bye. Listening to Life Elsewhere, created and hosted by Norman B. Life Elsewhere is written and produced by Norman B. Guest booking and additional research by Stephanie Lane. Behind the scenes assistance by James Van, Bruce Goodman, and Allison Klein. We love to hear what you think about Life Elsewhere. Send your questions, queries, and comments to info at lifeelsewhere.co. That's C-O. Life Elsewhere is produced at the studios of WMNF Tampa.